Welcome to highlights from a recent webinar presented by the International Cardio-Oncology Society. I'm Dr. Tom Murtaugh of the Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, and I know you're going to enjoy this presentation on managing bleeding risk in patients receiving BTK inhibitor therapy. The presentation is brought to you by members of the ICOS Pharmacy Working Group. ICOS has many working groups, as you may know, so feel free to check out their work at the ICOS website at ic-os.org. Today we are lucky to hear from Dr. Sarah Hayes of Minneapolis and Dr. Craig Beavers of the University of Kentucky. During this presentation we will hear case reports, didactic information, and even some late-breaking clinical news regarding new drug approvals. We could not do this without the generous support of AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Pfizer. So without additional delay, here is today's presentation. Hi, good morning. Um, my name is Dr. Sarah Hayes. I am a pharmacist at um, a hospital and clinic in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I'm a board certified oncology pharmacist. Um, I'll go ahead and let Dr. Beavers introduce himself now, please. Cardiovascular clinical pharmacist with the University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy, but also do some work with uh, Health System Baptist Health System in 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 the state of Kentucky. So excited to be here. Much for that, and we'll dive right in here. We've got a full agenda of cardio oncology filled with cardio oncology, and my role here really is to serve more as an introductory speaker um, for the disease state and the drugs we're going to be talking about. I should say the oral oncology drugs that we're going to be talking about. And Dr. Beavers is really going to dive into the, the nitty gritty of this presentation. Uh, we have a, a real live uh, patient case here, a 79 year old female, which is a pretty uh, um, advanced elderly age, but not uncommon for CLL. And um, her disease was in incidentally discovered initially in March of 2020. Um, so over two years ago with a white count of 19, hemoglobin 11, platelet of 130. So she was stage B and then rye stage one, um, pretty low stage disease, but she did have a heterozygous deletion of 13Q, which is a good thing. Um, she was IGH somatic hypermutation positive, also a good thing. And at the time, um, she had really no other comorbidities. About a year later, she developed atrial fibrillation. This is on no treatment. This is just on a, an observation for her CLL with a CHADS2 VAS score of four. Her physician at the time started her on verapamil, 120 milligrams every morning. And due to her CHADS VAS score, she was started on oral anticoagulation with a PIXABAN, five milligrams twice a day. About eight months later, her CLL worsened, palpable splenomegaly, um, and a hemoglobin drop. She was started on ibrutinib, 280, yes, 280 milligrams daily due to the drug-drug interaction with verapamil. And I just wanted to present this case um, just as a really classic CLL-type patient, elderly, comorbidities present. And I always get the question, um, what if they have atrial fibrillation? Can I start them? 
on a BTK inhibitor. So I'm going to I'm going to leave that for Craig later uh, for discussion. CLL, as we all know, is the most common um, leukemia that we've got in um, the United States for sure. The most common leukemia diagnosis, and we've got these soccer ball cells, um, IGHV mutation um, being favorable, and we see deletion 13Q as being favorable. 11Q and 17P are the unfavorable deletions. That's where the TP53 lies. You lose that, you're in big trouble. But what I wanted to call out is that these patients often uh, present with thrombocytopenia. So when we're talking about bleeding and BTKs, I just wanted to note, you know, one in 10 to one in five patients may have thrombocytopenia present due to their disease. We'll see about 20,000 new cases in the United States um, per this year, per year. And of you know the the cancers to have this one is a, a relatively good one not that it's ever good but about 90 percent of people survive five years so we're often dealing more with their comorbidities than their cancer and uh, the median age of diagnosis 70 so 90 percent of cll patients have comorbidities present at diagnosis we've done a good job um, increasing the overall survival with this disease, and that's due to our new drug agents, our amazing new drugs. And I just wanted to call your attention to the, the bottom picture, which kind of shows this progression from, you know, your chlorambucil in the 1950s to your fludarabines, your rituximabs, and really ibrutinib, um, the star of this show, 2013, we were looking at, so less than a decade ago, it was FDA approved for CLL and how remarkably our treatment um, has come along for this disease state just in a few short years. Pretty amazing. Venetoclax um, being even more recent and now their, their standard of care is pretty incredible. So they really out were outshining the other agents in many ways. The B cell receptor is, um, the highlight here, it's, uh, it can be tonic or um, it can be activated. And this is important because uh, the mTOR, this kind of tonic pathway versus the BTK pathway, which is the NF-kappa-B pathway, differentiates some of the constitutive activation that goes on in, say, your Hodgkin's, your diffuse large B cell, which we're not using BTK inhibitors to treat. But you can use BTK inhibitors to treat things like marginal zone, mantle cell, follicular. Um, and, you know, in this case, CLL is what we're going for. And that's where the, the BTK pathway, which is downstream of that BCR receptor, um, is inhibited. So this NFKB um, leads to this you know, transcription factor adjustment, which um, regulates the gene expression, which ultimately decreases the, the cell's proliferation on survival. It's a very effective mechanism of action for CLL in particular. Uh, Bruton's tyrosine kinase uh, was discovered by Dr. Colonel Ogdenkar Bruton, um, and he had a patient named Joseph, an eight-year-old patient that had recurrent pneumonias and uh, a lack of serum immunoglobulins. And this is where the XLA was discovered, the um, X-linked A-gamma globulinemia. And um, his discovery of that was relevant to the Bruton's tyrosine kinase, which was later actually fully uh, described in the 1990s. And then the first inhibition of it was in the 2000s with ibrutinib being discovered in 2007. This tyrosine kinase has these five domains and ibrutinib binds at C 
481. It's a covalent bond, so it latches on and it does not let go. And this covalent bond disrupts the ATP binding, which then stops that cell signaling and um, shuts down the cell essentially. So that C481 is where ibrutinib binds, as well as our other two agents that I will be discussing, cyanobrutinib and acalabrutinib. And I just wanted to mention that this C481, unfortunately, resembles a lot of the other um, kinases, tech being um, the one that we'll discuss at length, but there's actually nine other kinases that look very similar to this. So it's a little bit promiscuous in terms of a drug. Uh, it, it hits a lot of different things. Ibrutinib and acalabrutinib are currently in the United States FDA approved for the treatment of CLL, but xanubrutinib, you'll see, is in the guidelines, although it is not yet approved for CLL treatment. Of note, just because I'm a pharmacist and I, I think it's really fun to discuss these things, I, I think it's great because they all end in brutinib, the bruton tyrosine kinase inhibitors, but these other drugs, they actually work differently. Um, there's with fenibrutinib, for example, it's, it's a triple uh, hydrogen bonding activity that's going on that inhibits the bruton tyrosine kinase. Um, it's not the same residue as ibrutinib and calibrutinib. And um, vecabrutinib is one that uh, messes with the B cell activation markers. Um, that trial, the trial for B cell malignancies for VECA um, were taken taken off the market or um, stopped prematurely. They were terminated. It was never on the market. Um, so, you know, you see all these different mechanisms of actions. I think of this list, I'd have to say pirtabrutinib is um, the, the one that we may see in CLL. Uh, it's an ATP pocket binding um, disturber that's, again, different from ibrutinib. So even though they're the same, the, the mechanism is bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibition, they work differently pharmacologically. So um, covalent versus non-covalent binding, um, you know, permanent versus non-permanent. And, and so you see different things with these different drugs. Ibrutinib, um, again, FDA approved for a lot of diseases, but it would not be an oncology presentation if my presentation was not out of date by the time I presented it. And I think this is my best example ever because ibrutinib was FDA approved 12 hours ago for pediatric chronic um, and acute graft-versus-host disease. So we um, now have the first pediatric indication for ibrutinib just 12 hours ago. And this is very exciting for me as a pharmacist because there's now an oral suspension that's going to be on the market. In the past, we've not been able to administer this easily to patients that can't swallow, tablets only, do not crush through break. So now we're gonna have a suspension, which is really, really exciting. You see it's approved for all these different disease states and the dosing is a little different whopper of a dose, right? 560 milligrams over, you know, half a gram because the, the bioavailability of this drug is terrible. It's like three, 4%. So you have to give patients a lot of drug to get enough in their circulation to do anything. We've got all these different pill strengths for all these different dosing strategies. It's approximately $14,000 per 28 days in the United States. And there's all these clinical trials that led to the approval of ibrutinib, some with monoclonal CD20 antibodies, some without. And now we're studying it in combination with venetoclax, which is actually really, really, I think, promising and exciting. The ibrutinib brings these, these malignant cells out of their lymph nodes. It, it helps them relocate into the periphery. And then the venetoclax just 
just smacks them. So there just there's this beautiful synergy going on between those two drugs. I think it looks really, really promising for a combination. So as an oncology pharmacist, you know, lacking the, the cardiology uh, background and expertise that Dr. Beavers has, I look at the package insert, right, at these dose adjustments. And this is, you know, a little bit more of a black and white thinking. It's certainly um, more scientific, scientific than artistic, but this is, this is kind of where I'm coming from. Adverse reactions, you see hemorrhage infections, um, arrhythmias, um, it listed as straight up, here's our, here's our adverse reactions. And then for dose adjustments, cardiac failure, cardiac arrhythmia, and then hematologic toxicity. So those are the, the three FDA approved dose adjustments for this drug. Acalabrutinib is um, approved for MCL and CLL, and it is a twice daily drug. So the drug company um, really likes to use this as a selling point for acalabrutinib. Bruton's tyrosine kinase is, is continuously made and recycled. So with the once daily dosing of ibrutinib, there's a thought that the occupancy at the BTK receptors is not as good as if you have a BID dosing drug. This is twice a day. And um, they like to boast, you know, near 100% occupancy, occupancy of the BTK receptors. So even though it's kind of a burden for our patients to take it twice a day, the efficacy is, you know, pharma, from a pharmacologic standpoint, supposedly better um, because of that. And the Elevate TN um, trial was, um, they, they looked at it with and without a benetuzumab, um, and it was FDA approved for, for CLL. Um, so that's acalabrutinib. And I have another exciting update on acalabrutinib, actually, as long as uh, I'm a pharmacist with such a captive audience. There will be a new formulation of acalabrutinib this year that can be taken with proton pump inhibitors. As of now, acalabrutinib and GERD do not mix because you cannot um, take proton pump inhibitors. You need acid for this to be absorbed. So we're going to have a new tablet that we can crush um, and take with PPIs. So again, yet another kind of exciting new um, thing from a pharmacy perspective. Probably not as exciting for the physicians, but it's exciting to us. Acalabrutinib and ibrutinib have um, differences in their selectivity. So ibrutinib has far more off-target effects. Um, the second generation, acalabrutinib and xanabrutinib have um, better tissue penetration, but also they hit less on, on our kinome. And when the C481 site becomes mutated to a serine. Um, a calibrutinib can bind there, whereas a brutinib really struggles with that. The, the efficacy really goes down when we see uh, that mutation take over. Calibrutinib, same thing, adverse reactions. So hemorrhage, AFib, a flutter, right? So it's still there, but they only have dose adjustments for thrombocytopenia with bleeding, grade three, and grade four thrombocytopenia. So as an oncology pharmacist, those are the things that I'm officially designated to say warrant this dose adjustment when I'm making the recommendation to the physician. Xanabrutinib is our third, third agent, not FDA approved for CLL, probably will be FDA approved for CLL. They did a twice daily dosing study as well, um, better BTK occupancy, but they have studied it as daily dosing because the half-life is so much longer than ibrutinib. It's like four times the length of ibrutinib. They can probably get away with daily dosing with this drug. Um, we don't have enough data yet to say for sure that that'll be FDA approved when it is FDA approved, but um, my, my gut feeling is it probably will be. 
eventually approved as a daily drug. And this was um, Sequoia um, trial. And um, here's our package insert with hemorrhage, cardiac arrhythmias, so AFib went away. Um, it seems like as we as we move along here um, down the list, there's less and less warning to me that there could be arrhythmias going on. But FDA says grade three thrombocytopenia with significant bleeding or grade four thrombocytopenia, and they give a, a time range, <laughs> 10 consecutive days is, is where it becomes official. NCCN here, I just wanted to call out, this is our standard of care. You have this first bucket of patients that's young people, and you have your BTKs and your venetoclax. Second line is your older people or younger people with comorbidities, same options. They just have uh, venetoclax and your CD20 monoclonal antibody as a preferred option. And then at the bottom there, you've got your deletion uh, 17P patients, those very high risk patients, and it's pretty much the same options again. Um, second line subsequent therapy, they're looking very, very similar, right? It's pretty much all of your same, same drugs, um, just in a slightly different order. So uh, these, these drugs are, are at the forefront of CLL treatment, right? So we're using them a ton, we're studying them even more, and they're going to continue to be very popular. So we need to know toxicity-wise what we're doing. Um, my case for Craig, I'm an oncology pharmacist. I know I'm sending patients to the cardiology clinic and these toxicities are sometimes annoying, but here's why we want to use them. We have really good disease control, um, really good PD over PK. You know, you can take the drug once a day and it keeps working. No infusions needed, once daily dosing for ibrutinib. And um, because ibrutinib actually downregulates CD20 expression, the ibrutinib and rituxan, um, rituximab studies were, were not that great. So we actually don't even need a monoclonal antibody all the time. That was an excellent presentation by Drs. Beavers and Hayes that certainly helps translate our scientific knowledge into clinical practice. Don't forget to check out the ICOS website for all things cardio-oncology and make plans to be in Spain come September 2023 for the Global Cardio-Oncology Summit. GCOS is the premier international meeting for cardio-oncology. Our music was composed especially for ICOS by Eli Brandt of Oberlin College. This is Dr. Tom Murtaugh of the Christ Hospital saying, treat cancer, protect hearts. Music